why are the poppies that are chemical fertilizers having the most problems with pest insects, diseases, and weeds? So I went and asked my, my peers, my uh, mentors, and they go, be quiet or you'll kill the golden goose. You're listening to Our Shared Field, where we bring artists into conversation with people from outside of the arts. I'm your host, Austin Camille, and welcome to the fourth conversation of the season. Today, I sit down with Texan Organics business owner, Mike Sarant. If you missed it, last week I spoke with artist and plant collaborator, Ellie Irons, who shares a conversation with Mike on next week's episode. Mike Sarant is the owner of an organic fertilizer company called Microlife, based in Houston, Texas. I've actually known Mike for quite a few years now. My family owns a hardware store just south of Houston, and Mike was an integral part of moving the store in an organic direction. Today, we talk about how he got started in the business, why it's getting easier to communicate about organics, and how a healthy soil ultimately leads to a healthy society. My name is Mike Sarant. I have a company called Microlife Organic Fertilizers. My mom and I started it back in uh, 1984. Uh, we're based in Houston, Texas, and uh, we make, I think, exceptional organic fertilizers. Uh, deeply believe in the organic way. We promote that constantly through education. Uh, healthy soils, healthy plants, healthy people is one of our mottos, and it's based on spiritual, mental, and physical health. So much of that is based on food and the environment. And so it's a lot of David versus Goliath. So much is against people having a good life. Uh, It's really stacked where you look at the the major corporations and you certainly look at government. It doesn't promote good, healthy policies. So with that, um, organics is a grassroots movement. So I'd like to start from the very beginning of it all. I'm curious to know where your interest in soil and soil health comes from. I know that you mentioned that you started the business with your mother. Um, Yeah. How long have you been working in this field for? Well, my mom and I started the company in 1984. The parent company is called Sandy Central Environmental Supplies. And in 1984, we sold the chemical fertilizers and the chemical pesticides that we absolutely rail against today. Uh But in mid eighties, that's what you did. So I've got a degree in marketing from the university of Houston. And I think that really saved me because if I'd gotten a degree in agronomy from let's say Texas A&M, I've probably been so brainwashed. I couldn't see truth. Truth was that we were very successful in selling chemical fertilizers and, and chemical pesticides. If you were my client back in 84, 85, 86, and I'd sell you these chemical fertilizers, I would always sell you a lot of chemical pesticides. Mm. And I thought that was kind of weird because isn't fertilizer food? So shouldn't I be making your plants healthier? Why are the poppies that are chemical fertilizers having the most problems with pest insects, diseases, and weeds? Mm. So I went and asked my um, my my peers, my uh, mentors, the people that brought me into this industry, and they go, be quiet or you'll kill the golden goose. And the golden goose was, and everybody knew then, you know today, that if you feed soils and plants bad food, they're going to get sick. And so what's the remedy? Pesticides. And so pesticides 
don't solve problems. They just mask symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was wrong. Um, my mom did too. Great, great, great business partner. And so uh, we went on a quest to try to figure out what true soil plant health was. And I say soil health. Back in those days, people didn't talk about soil. Huh. I mean, we didn't know about the underground world of microbiology back then. Um, for instance, if I if you come to me and said, hey, Mike, I've got mushrooms growing all over my yard. What should I do? I go, by God, Austin, we've got to kill it. Right? We just can't <laughs> let the anti-mushroom grow. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that they're tied into this beautiful system underground mm -hmm. that without fungi, we don't live as human beings. But we went on a search to try to find um, what plant health meant. Long story short, we started producing microlife um, fertilizer back in 1988 and um, been at it ever since. As far as I know, we're the second oldest continuous organic fertilizer company um, in America. Wow. I was brought up in the 60s and the 70s, started the business in the 80s. And so there was institutions, Austin, that we believed in. Uh, we believed that government was fair and honest. We believed that the American Medical Association was fair and honest. We believed that the food we ate was fair and honest. So I kind of grew up in this in this in this world. And so, if agriculture, chemical agriculture, was lying to me about the fertilizers and the chemical pesticides, then it opened up my mind to maybe mistrust a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so then we started trying to find um, the route to human health. And it's really not that much different. If you think about you and I share uh, up to 60% common DNA with, with plants. And so, so much of what plants want to be healthy is exactly what humans want. Um, and we share 85% common DNA with, with dogs, with animals. And so you can kind of see that everything is connected. But I think the answers are there. We just have to have political will. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you specifically about microlife, you're asking people to think about, you know, the chemical and microbial level of soil, to think about root systems, you know, things that they can't actually see necessarily. So I'm curious to know what challenges you face when you're trying to communicate these, you know, intangible things to the public. It's getting a lot easier. There's this really strong growing awareness about the things we can't see. And since 2008, the number one research medical arena for humans has been the microbiome. The human gut microbiome is made up of billions of bacteria and other microorganisms. The gut microbiome shares similar bacteria to the soil microbiome, and these bacteria from fruits, salads, vegetables, etc., end up affecting and joining those within our gut. Recent research has also shown that soil microbes help to regulate our emotions and immune response, alongside playing a key role in determining the nutrient content of our food. What you're exposed to determines the health of your gut microbiome. There's going to be 10 trillion there. They're going to be good, they can be bad. If they're bad, then you're very susceptible to all manners of diseases, okay? And what makes gut microbiome bad? Gee, McDonald's. Kentucky Fried Chicken, preservatives, red dye number four, excess sodium. It just goes on and on. And what are most people, Americans eating? They're eating really bad food, okay? And so America, we lead the world per capita 
and cancer, all manners of cancer, heart, diabetes, pre-diabetes, Alzheimer's, dementia, autism, celiac, it just goes on and on and on. And why is that? Um, it's because I think of the foods that we are led to eat. People are becoming aware of this. The move toward organics has been slow, but Mike said it's been getting easier to communicate the benefits to the larger public. We talked about the ways in which he wants to specifically focus on how human health is tied to the health of nature. I think now, right now, and every day moving forward, it gets easier. Mother Nature is always talking and communicating to us on a constant basis. And it's, you know, right now I'm using my vocal cords and you're using your ears and I'm saying something and you're picking it up. And, I'm, and that, that's what I'm going to call talking. But there's other ways to talk. Um, <clears throat> and the way Mother Nature talks to us is she emits chemical compounds, phytocytes. <clears throat> and those phytocytes are aromatic compounds, often odorless. Like if I ask uh, you, do plants release a gas? Oxygen, right? And oxygen is basically odorless. But there's 259 other chemical compounds that are released. And we take those in through our, our nostrils, our mouth, lands on our skin, takes it in, we take it in that way. And we can follow these chemical signals. And what these chemical signals are doing, they're repairing our neurological and our physiological functions. And there's a, a concept called Sharon Yoku. Uh, and sometimes in America, we've, we've taken that concept and we call it forest therapy. Medical doctors, let's say in Japan, if I go in and say, Doc, I'm not feeling very well. You know, what should I do? He may go, Mike, you've got a virus. I'm going to write you out some things I want you to do. And part of that is I want you to walk in the forest two to three times a week, about an hour each time. And what we have proven beyond the peer review is that when we go into the forest, we breathe in these terpenes, these phytocytes, and then they go into our system and they activate killer T-cells, our natural killer T-cells. And what do they do? They hunt for tumors and they hunt for viruses. And Mother Nature is saying, Mike, I want to heal you. Let me heal you. And she does this surely and freely. And so if we can make people aware of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think especially in, in urban spaces, in places like Houston as well, you know, where, I mean, it's such a huge city and there's so much cement, so much asphalt, and it's all the more necessary to create green spaces. Exactly. Right. When we visit with garden centers or grounds maintenance companies, uh, we're asking them to look at themselves, not just as landscape and horticultural professionals, but as healthcare professionals. Uh, if a family, and we saw this a lot during um, COVID, we had millions of uh, new gardeners that um, entered the marketplace. And gardening was already America's number one hobby. But now we've got millions more. Mike and I talked about this past year and how it was surprisingly busy and beneficial for those in the lawn and garden business. There were more folks at home taking care of their yards and a willing audience with the time to really change their gardening habits towards slower, more organic methods. This said, the jump in screen time during COVID really concerned him. I think for um, a lot of us here, um, we've been really blessed because we were deemed an essential business. And so you did have the stress of COVID over um, garden centers, and grounds maintenance. And, and I think a lot of it is the people that we deal with, they didn't lose their jobs. Yeah. And, uh, 
in the landscape and garden center business did quite well in 2020. So you have a very stressful year, plus you have the political year that was really insane. Um, but for us, we had a job. We had a job with a purpose. We were always able to come into a positive environment. So I think uh, overall, uh, we did pretty good. And we think about all the things that happened with gardening. Well, we talked about the phytocides, all the aromas and, 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 and compounds that we breathe in, just walking through grass, enjoying Mother Nature, serenity. And when you get people involved in gardening, uh, and you have so much benefit. You know, we look at horticulture as therapy now. And for you and I, we unfortunately live on in a digital world. And so you and I are looking at each other in a 2D um, arena. And if we stayed in the 2D re- arena, I miss really understanding you because to really understand you, I need to see you in 3D mm-hmm. because in 3D, I can pick up the little nuances that I can't pick up right now. And same thing with you. But the antidote to those devices is what? Nature. There you go. <laughs> Here we are. I knew I was talking to somebody that was really <laughs> smart. <laughs> so uh, a question that I have, and maybe it's just knowing, you know, with my family's hardware store down there um, and the people who come in and, and ask for help with their gardens, um, you know, a lot of people have these very large expanses of lawn and they're looking, and it's just it's just that. It's just grass. And they're looking to get rid of certain weeds that are cropping up and, you know, um, interrupting their grass. I'm curious to know, what your thoughts are on that. Um, I think also because Ellie and I had had a conversation about, you know, the, the notion of weeds and how um, people don't like them. They misunderstand them. They're not quite sure what they're good for. So weeds, um, unfortunately, have a bad press agent. Okay. Uh, if we called them lawn herbs, maybe people wouldn't demonize them so much, but everything has a purpose, right? We are definitely sold on a weed-free lawn. Trying to get through to people about not having a lawn that's full of poisons. And there's a statement that if you apply a chemical herbicide, it is a poison. It affects everything. Even the plants you think you're protecting, it's still a poison. So why would you want to poison something that is so interested in you you having a good life. Why would you want to ever put poisons on Mother Nature? Sometimes that works for people, sometimes it don't. The people that say, I've got to get rid of every weed all the time, they're not going to have a lot of patience with organics. And so why waste your time? So we know that weeds basically are messengers, Hmm. that they're telling us something. Are we attuned enough to figure out what they're telling us? With weeds, uh, you have an opportunity to understand your environment a little bit more. Because, for example, there's certain weeds that like too much water. Mm-hmm. And in Houston, uh, and probably most places that have lawns, we apply too much water. And so those weeds grow where they can grow best. And if you work with the chemical fertilizer and herbicide programs, which is all poisons, you continue to put that soil in bad health. So what are you going to get? You're going to get the plants that are trying to repair that soil health and make them a better state. 
a lot of times we'll look at these weeds, we'll call them succession plants. What we want to try to do is we want to try to help move that succession, and we can get really remarkable landscapes very easy, very quickly with organics. Uh, something I like to mention in Texas, that of all the major botanical gardens in Texas, they all use microbes. Hmm. Now, these botanical gardens don't always have a lot of money, but they're all mandated to have great-looking plants. And so they use microbes to get those great-looking plants. At the same time, those concentric circles that move us to progress go in place as well. We improve uh, uh, soil quality, which means that we can uh, take water infiltration easier. In, you know, in chemical soils, so much water just runs off, never gets into the soil because it's like mm-hmm. concrete, okay? Organics is going to open that up. And then once the soil is opened up, we're going to create organic matter and space in the soil to hold water. So if uh, a drought comes, that we now, that plant now has the ability to survive that drought better without irrigated water. And all water, the water that you drank, the water I drank, the water we feed our lawns with, all have got... Um, uh, disinfectant center, and they do it for our protection. Here, your chlorine, your chloramines, none of those are good. Um, and if you don't have to use them as much because your soils and your plants are more adapted, well, that's better for the environment and better for your pocketbook because you're using less water, and water always has a cost on it. So, and these are type of messages that more people are um, are getting. So, weeds aren't bad. We just have to um, try to help people. Uh, understand them a little bit more. And that's mm-hmm. different. Very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think because it involves um, a lot of patience also. Patience. And I think commitment. Ultimately, the message that Mike wants to spread about organics is that it touches every aspect of our lives and the lives of the other living beings we are sharing this world with. It's truly about building community. And uh, community is a gigantic word. Uh, we have to have uh, community with with nature. Uh, we always talk about the the soil and plant communities. You've got uh, different species symbiotically existing and prospering together. Humans need humans, and I think with this my concept of organics, it it's relationships. We have to have diversity, and uh, Ellie will will certainly know about that. We talked about weeds earlier. Weeds um, represent diversity. If uh, you probably have y'all have y'all have raised cattle, right? Um, We have. There's cattle on the land. It's not ours. Well, a lot of times, uh, the best cattle forbs is going to not be one monocultural crop Mm. of coastal Bermuda that uh, the, the grass-fed farmers, ranchers that, that we follow, they want a really diverse set of plants. Mm. And you can't get a diverse set of plants if you put a bunch of poisons out. And so you could almost take that philosophy of the chemical people, which is death to everything, how far do they want to eliminate diversity? I think a lot of us in the organic world or fighting for civilization. We want diversity. We want to treat uh, increased tolerance of different life. 
um, and that certainly should remain tolerance for each other. Uh, so community, yeah, you need, you need a very diverse community in landscapes and in society. Join us next week on Our Shared Field to listen to the conversation between Mike and our previous guest, artist Ellie Irons. It doesn't make sense from an ethical, logical, scientific, or economical approach to go with the chemical way. And why would we want a war against plants that are always there for a purpose of some kind? Your interactions in your community with the folks who are working on this organic agriculture movement and my interactions over here with the plant conscious artists who are also in solidarity with that movement are rippling through and we're all encouraging each other and keep holding each other to account in our small networks. You can learn more about the guests and follow their interactions on our website, chat.squarespace.com. Music for this episode is by Bria Elena, a country singer and songwriter based in Philadelphia. Thank you to the Center for Humanities at Temple University for hosting this podcast and to our technical director, Eric Carbonara, at Nada Sound Studio. This podcast is recorded in North Philadelphia on the ancestral lands of the Leni Lenape people, whose presence and resilience in Pennsylvania continues to this day. Until next time, I'm Austin Camille. Thank you for listening to Our Shared Field. Our Shared Field.